So we're going to pick up where Brother Freddie left off, John 11, verse 17. But before we do that, I just want to kind of, we don't have the scriptures for the slide here. I just kind of thought of doing this just a few minutes ago. But let's just kind of go back over the verses. I'll read some highlights from the 16 verses that Brother Freddie went through. So you, you have uh, Mary and Martha. Uh, Mary was the one who had anointed Jesus' feet and wiped uh, his feet with, with her hair, with her tears and her hair. And uh, their brother Lazarus was ill. And so that's kind of where it picks up in uh, chapter 11. And it says that the sisters sent word to Jesus and said, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, the illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified in it. Doesn't that sound similar to something we covered earlier in, in John? Uh, when the disciples came to Jesus, and there was a man that was born blind, and they asked him, uh, whose fault is it? Was it his, his fault, or was it his, his parents' fault that he was born blind? And what did Jesus say? Neither. It was so that the glory of God would be seen through him. Similar type answer here that Jesus gave about Lazarus. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, uh, loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. <laughs> so like, wait a minute. Like, okay, he's ill. He's really sick, Jesus. Okay, I love him, but I'm, I'm just going to hang out here for a couple more days. And so I'm sure Brother Freddie talked about that last week. Probably talked about waiting and trusting God's timing and, 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 you know, just that whole subject of God's timing is not our timing. And, and it just kind of is a little strange. It just, Jesus doesn't respond the way that we would respond. If we have a loved one that's ill and it seems to be urgent, he gets the word, we're going to go. We're going to get up, we're going to go right away. But not Jesus. Not Jesus because Jesus sees things differently than we do. So it says he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Verse 7, And after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again, the Jerusalem area. Let's go back over there. And what did the, his disciples say? So wait a minute. They were trying to stone you over there, trying to kill you. You want to go back? And, of course, Jesus gives this amazing answer like he always gives. Are, you, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. <laughs> like, oh, all right, Jesus, let's go. <laughs> Clearly, I don't understand what you're saying, but we're going to go. So they all go. And Jesus, was, Jesus is talking there about following God's plan. There's light. There, there's day. It's time to work. And, 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 and I'm going to be busy about my father's business. This is what Jesus is saying. He's trying to communicate to his disciples that, that, that God has a plan and we're fulfilling his plan. And while it's day and while there's time, I don't have much time left. My time's about to come. But while there is time, I'm going to be about my father's business. We're going back to the Judea area. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I, and, but I go to awaken him. And of course, the disciples said, Lord, okay, if he's sleeping, don't you go like, wake him up, throw a rock, <laughs> hit him in his head, wake him up. Like, they don't get it. How many times do you see in the Gospels, in the conversations that Jesus had with his disciples or people that were listening to him, there's just not an understanding of what he's saying. And again, it's, this is what he says, he, this is what's happening here. 
Now Jesus, so the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he'll recover. This is not a big deal. Why are we making a big deal to go back to Judea where they're trying to stone you, Jesus? He's, he's asleep. He's going to wake up. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> That's like, it's like, all right, guys, hardhead. Like, okay, he's dead. I'm help you out here. And for your sake, this is so interesting. For your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. <laughs> That's, again, it's, it's just the, the disciples don't see what Jesus sees because they are thinking from an earthly perspective. They're thinking, well, we're going to go. We can't leave them now, but we're going to die. So let's go die with Jesus. <laughs> if we're going to go down with the ship. Let's go follow the master. We'll all die together. And that's where we pick up in verse 17. But before we get to verse 17, I have a question for you. Have you ever been in a, in a situation where you have prior knowledge and you already know the outcome? You ever been in a situation like that? Prior knowledge and you already know the outcome? So I, I think all of us have to, at some point. I remember last year. Was it last year? Yeah, it would have been last year because the, the NFL playoffs are in the, the, fall, uh, in the winter months um, of last year. So the Saints are playing the Carolina Panthers. You remember that, 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 that playoff game? This is before the Minnesota miracle and our hearts were dashed in the last second play. Lincoln was born that day of that playoff game against Minnesota, and we're, tr- we're rejoicing about Lincoln, and we're rejoicing about the Saints, and then it was disaster. But the game before that against the Carolina Panthers, I'm at, we're at the Noel family house, Clyde and, Teresa, Clyde and Teresa Noel, and we're watching the game with their family, and they DVR'd the game. We had something going on during the, the day where we couldn't watch the game, so they, they DVR'd the game. And so I, I'm watching the game now the game has already it's almost done you know we're, 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 we're a little off not too far but so I'm watching the game and I'm keeping my cool I'm keeping my phone away from me I'm not checking the score I'm watching the game and I'm enjoying it and it gets to the fourth quarter do you remember the last drive Carolina has the ball and they can they can get down the field and possibly kick a field goal and win the game and I just can't take it like, I just can't take it. It's a timeout, a commercial break or something. I get up. I, I, I made sure no one saw me. I slipped my phone in my pocket, and I went to the bathroom. I used the bathroom just to use the bathroom, and I looked at the phone, and I saw that it was an incomplete pass on the last play of the game. And so I came out. <gasps> I took a deep breath. And I came out, and I, I sat down, and everyone's watching. It's time for the final play, and I know. I know there's victory. I know what's going to happen. I have prior knowledge and nobody else knows, but you better believe it. When the final play ended, I jumped and I celebrated with everybody. I'm high-fiving and, and I was hoping Clyde would be here so I could break the news to him. But he's not here tonight. I'll have to let him know uh, tomorrow morning. But I had prior knowledge. I knew the outcome before anyone else in the room knew it. Has anybody else ever done that? Am I the only one? Please tell me. <laughs> Someone else has done that. Nobody? Have you, have you done that? Yeah, I just, oh, I can't handle it. Whew. Especially with Saints games. Uh, they drive me crazy. 
But Jesus, he had prior knowledge. Jesus knew. When you you go to the story in John 11 here, he knew what was going to happen. And he knew what his purpose was. And he knew that Lazarus was, was not just to sleep, he, and he knew Lazarus was going to die, and, and he knew the end, that he was going to raise him from the dead, and he knew that people were going to witness the power of his deity, and he knew that people were going to glorify his name, but ultimately he knew that people were still going to have a hard heart, even though no man has ever raised anyone from the dead. And he knew he was going to do it, and he knew even still people were going to kill him. And crucify him. He has prior knowledge. He knows. He knows what's going to happen. But again, this is a journey, and there's lessons in this story for us that demonstrate to us that in our life, we we would like to have future knowledge. We would like to have prior knowledge. We would like to know what the outcome is going to be in many areas of our life. But we don't have that luxury. We're not God. We're not omniscient. We can't see into the future and know how it's going to play out. What's going to happen? But Jesus does. He knows. He knows, and that's why he responds so differently than his disciples do. They don't understand. They're confused. Why are we going to a hostile environment? If he's just sleeping, Jesus, why don't we just wake him up? Why don't you just send word back to Mary and Martha? Say, hey, wake him up if he's just sleeping. And Thomas culminates by saying, oh, all right, well, I guess we're going to die. Let's go die with him. They don't know. They don't understand. So let's read the section we're going to cover here. Let's see what we can learn from this section, from the continuation of this account. Starting in verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here... My brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Really profound portion of scripture here. A lot of things that we could bring out 
And when you go through a section of scripture like this, there's so many things that you could talk about here. But we're going we're gonna to kind of hone in on, on some three things that I feel like that, that we, we learned from this story. You know, there's obvious implications of this story. But I think there's three things I, I feel like we, we should look at. Uh, that we learn after the resurrection, post-resurrection of Lazarus and post-resurrection of Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, as he declares here. Post-resurrection, what, what can we learn from this story? Though The first thing is this. This is what I want to bring out. Our perspective of a situation is not always the right one. Our perspective of a situation is not always the right one. Let's look back at these verses, John eleven seventeen through 21. Now, when Jesus came, he found Lazarus in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Martha and Mary to console them. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And so... Their perspective, Mary and Martha's perspective, and everyone else's perspective about the situation in front of them was not the right perspective. They saw it one way. They saw it the earthly way. They saw Lazarus was ill. Lazarus got worse. Four days later, he's been dead for four days. He, he, he died. He is dead. There's weeping. There's wailing. There's, there's, there, there's frustration. There's anger. They see the situation from one perspective. And was it the right perspective? Ultimately, it was not the right perspective to have. And Jesus is going to help them to have the right perspective, to see it correctly. And I think the same thing is true for us, is that, that not every situation that we face do we see it from the right perspective. There's so many times when we face situations in, in our life, we look at them and we can only see what's earthly. Now, it doesn't always happen that way. There's times where by God's grace... We can see past the earthly circumstance and we can, we can have the wisdom of God. We can have a spirit that illuminates our, our understanding and we can see beyond the natural and see. You know what? I recognize that this is just earthly. I recognize that this is just temporary and I see beyond and I see what God can do and I see what God is trying to do. But I think for the most part, our struggle in life is to have the right perspective. And this is the struggle that Mary and Martha are having right now. And ultimately, the purpose of all of it is so that Jesus' name would be glorified. And that's, that's where Jesus is headed. But these people don't see it. And it's interesting here in the text. It says, it made, uh, John made the point to bring out that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. So two things we need to understand about Lazarus being in the tomb for four days. First of all, Jews did not believe in in, in embalming bodies. So four days up to this point, the body is rapidly decomposing. And so it's, and and you'll see later next week, we're going to pick up and and Jesus says to roll away the stone. And they tell him, Jesus, it's going to stink. Like, they know it's been four days. You roll that stone away, it's going to be really bad, right? And so this is a reality of the situation. But another thing that we, need to, that we need to understand about the four days is that not only did the Jews not embalm dead bodies, they didn't believe in doing that. Secondly, they believed that when somebody died, that the soul of the person hovered around the dead body for, for three days with the potential of that soul coming back to the body. But then after the third day into the fourth day, it departed. 
That was their superstition. That's what they believed to be true. And so I, I believe that when Jesus first heard about Lazarus being ill, he knew he was going to die. He knew it. He's Jesus. He's God. He knew he was going to die. And he, and he knew what the Jews believed. He knew that the Jews believed that the soul hovered around the body for three days and that there could be a potential for a miracle within those three days. So that's why he waited two days to where he could time it to be there on the fourth day to where there was absolutely no hope. And that's the perspective that Mary and Martha have. That's the, that's the perspective that all these Jews that are gathering around them have. They think it's the fourth day. There's no way. It's gonna, his body is stinking. It's decomposing. And beyond that, it's the fourth day. The soul is gone. There's no possibility of any hope that there can be resurrection and a miracle to, to take place. That is their perspective. And so often we are just like that. Sometimes we can think like Mary and Martha. Lord, you should have done this differently and, and what that's what martha says right away lord lord if you were to come my, my, my brother wouldn't have died i don't believe that martha necessarily believed that jesus could have raised him from the dead but she believed he could have healed him that's what she said she said if you were to come he would not have died she had known about jesus doing miracles and so from her perspective from the way she saw it she's thinking lord you should have done it this way. Lord, you, you opened the eyes of the man born blind. You fed the multitudes. I've seen you do miracles after miracles. I've heard the stories. I've seen them. I've witnessed them. Lord, if you would have come, this wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have gotten this far. And, and we face that same reality in our life so often because we live in a broken world. Because we experience so much tragedy and pain and, and you look at situations and, and you think, God, God if, if you just would have stopped it. Lord, how come, how, come that couldn't have, how come you couldn't have stopped that storm? How come you couldn't have stopped that shooter? How come this couldn't have happened? How come this tragedy couldn't have been prevented? And we see it all from an earthly perspective. But that's not always the, that is not always the right, it is not the right perspective. It can't only be an earthly perspective that we view our situations. So we have to be able to say, God, in the middle of situations where I have questions, how many of you have experienced that? We all have. I've experienced it. All of us, we think it's not fair. Or I wouldn't do it that way. Have you ever thought that before? God, I would do it this way. I would make sure that this happened and that this didn't happen. And if it was up to me, I would, I would go this way and I would change this. And, and that's how we feel. And then we have questions and we wonder and we doubt. And that's the existence that we have. And, and it, it is a fight. We have to fight for the eternal perspective. We have to fight for the, for the God-glorifying perspective and recognize that God is always at work. God is always at work work the problem is is that we so often can only see our situations from an earthly perspective do you remember peter peter came up to jesus and and he makes the bold confession what was peter's confession he says when when jesus asked the question who do men say that i am peter he's going to speak up he's the vocal one he has a lot to say and peter speaks up and says you are the christ son of the living god what what kind of perspective was that that was the right perspective. That was the heavenly perspective. That was the greatest revelation that any human being could ever have. 
It was recognizing who Jesus is, that he's the son of God. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the savior of the world. Peter recognized it. And he didn't just recognize it. What's the, what's the bold step that we must make? Romans 10, 10. He confessed it with his mouth. He said it out loud. And then Jesus, for the lack of a better term, flipped the script on him and says, I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. The son of man must suffer and die. And let's pick up. Matthew 16, 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and must suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside. Think of it. (laughs) This is so, so stunning. This is a a human being in Peter. (laughs) This is human frailty taking aside deity. It's just, read this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. It's not quite on the same level of my son taking me aside and rebuking me. There's a similar parallel there. But this is like, like to the infinite degree, crazy. Like later on, Peter, you know, you have regret in your life, right? We all have regret, make mistakes, say things, put our foot in our mouth. I can imagine post-resurrection of Jesus Christ, Peter thought back to this moment and was like, oh, oh, hand on forehead. Oh, I'm so ridiculous. I, you know, I, I think like that all the time because Scripture says in a multitude of words, a transgression is unavoidable, so it says in Proverbs. And I talk all the time. That's my job. I, my job is to talk. That's what I do. I talk from the pulpit on Sundays and Wednesdays, I talk to the staff during the week. I, I take phone calls. I go on lunches and I just talk. And the more I talk, the more I put my foot in my mouth. And I, there's times I think back, why did I say that? I mean, even to this day, I think back to conversations I had with spiritual leaders in my life. And I think, oh, man, I was so immature. And I can just imagine that's how Peter felt. Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. He was sincere. He he was sincerely ignorant. (laughs) Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God. You don't have the right perspective, Peter. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And so often we are just like Mary and Martha, and we're just like Peter. We're not setting our mind on the things of God, and we're evaluating our situations and circumstances based upon how we think it should happen. Peter believed, hey, the best case for us is that Jesus, you can't die. You're to be king. You're the greatest man that's ever walked the earth. Nobody can do miracles like you have done. Nobody speaks like you speak. We're going to follow you into your kingdom. We're going to sit on your right and, 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 and on your left. And, and that was their perspective. But Jesus came from another kingdom and had another agenda and another plan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And, and, and I, I, I just see this in Mary and Martha. 
And they're, they're sincerely ignorant. They're sincerely not able to see correctly. And they have to have their eyes open to see correctly. And that's what we all have to have in our life. God has to tap us on our shoulder and remind us, hey, by the way, by the way, I'm in control. By the way, don't forget, I'm in charge. By the way, don't forget, I'm not surprised. You know, some people believe that God's learning information in this life based upon the decisions we make. There's, you know, there's actually people that teach that. That's ridiculous. You know what, you know what that does? It reduces God to man. We learn. We figure things out. God knows all. How do, how do I work that out in my mind? I don't. I don't, I, I don't know how to work that out. If you, can, if you figure out how to work out God's omniscience and our free will and how all that comes together, I don't know. And I never will. And none of us ever will. But, 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 but what I do know is that it, it's a place of rest. Because I wouldn't want it any other way. I wouldn't want to serve a God that's figuring things out on the fly based upon decisions I make. I'm serving a God and worshiping a God that's all-powerful, all-knowing, and in control. And he reminds me on a regular basis, hey, I'm in control. I've got this. I'm in charge. You're not on the throne. I am. Amen? Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. Let's let's think about that phrase for a second. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, and and scientists know now since the Hubble Space Telescope has been in orbit for however many years it's been up there, they're realizing, they begin to realize now the, the, the universe, the galaxies are expanding. It is infinitely beyond anything that scientists could have ever imagined. This universe this galaxy is 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 beyond comprehension in its size and god says for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways my perspective the way i see i see things it's so are my ways higher than your ways that's the difference and the challenge is is to to bring them together to bring them together and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts so we, we need help to see correctly. And Jesus begins to help them. Let's go back to the text here. This is the second thing we want to learn. Firstly, we, we learn, we, we see that our perspective of a, of a situation is not always the right one. And then secondly, we learn through this story, this account, is that when God moves in our situation, it is for a greater purpose. So we don't see the situation correctly all the time. And in our situation, when he does move, when he moves in a situation, it is always for a greater purpose. Let's go back to the text, John eleven twenty two. It says, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you, Martha says. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. What is Jesus trying to communicate to Martha and to everyone there? Do you believe this revelation? 
Do you believe this? This is the point of it all. The greater purpose in all of this miracle, what's about to take place in the life of Lazarus. He's going to be raised. He's going to come out of the tomb. Jesus is going to call him out. And Jesus is saying to Martha right here, and he's saying to Mary, he's saying to all those that are there that are listening to this conversation that are going to see the miracle. He's saying, look, yes, I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But the greater purpose in all of this of me working in the situation is that I want you to know that I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Eternal life comes from me because I have power over life and death. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And that is the question that Jesus asked everybody. That's the question, that's the question that every man and woman and child has to answer in their life. Do you believe this about Jesus? This is the fifth of the great I am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus demonstrating his power over death by raising Lazarus was not just simply to solve an earthly situation. He had a greater purpose in mind. He raised Lazarus to demonstrate his deity, to confirm his words. Martha and Mary could only see one reality, that their brother was dead. And Jesus is operating on two realities at the same time. He's trying to get Mary and Martha and all those to who will witness the resurrection of Lazarus to believe in him as the son of God in the way of eternal life, in the way of eternal life. So what was the greater purpose of the miracle? We see it earlier, last week. Brother Freddie read it. Let's go back, John eleven four. But when Jesus heard that Lazarus was dead or was, was ill, he said, this illness does not lead to death, but what is the purpose? It is for the glory of God. Of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Son of God may be glorified through it. The greater purpose of this miracle was for God's name to be glorified. If the working of God's power in our situation ends with us, then 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 it's then then we miss the point. If God works in our situation and we don't glorify God through the situation, then you miss the point. When God works in our situations, in those, those situations that we struggle to have the right perspective, when he works and moves in our situation, the ultimate end is not temporary appeasement or not temporary solving of the problem. Though, though, though that's good and, and, the Lord, and the Lord desires to help us in our marriages and in our health and in our finances and he has compassion for us and he moves in those temporary areas of our life, but those are only opportunities for him to be glorified through us. It ultimately ends and terminates in the glory of God through our life on this earth so people can know that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Amen? That's the purpose. If a miracle ends, if God moves in our life, so many times you know, in, in, in the history of Christianity and, and as, as media has increased and, 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 and you can see things happen in the body of Christ through through, through uh, YouTube and television and, and you, you see miracles take place and so many times people take their focus and they place it on the person who prayed, right? You have people who claim to be miracle workers and they, they go around doing miracles but the, the focus and, and the attention s- switches on bringing glory to God and people follow the miracle worker. I think, I think even Matt talked about this on, on Sunday. He talked about Jesus being our sufficient provision 
He talked about that song about Jesus, uh, uh, people focusing on the healing versus the healer. And that's what, that's what can take place. The, the, the purpose is not when God moves in a miraculous way. You know, if I pray for your situation at the altar and God and his providence moves in, in your life, that's not, it's not because I prayed a special prayer. I don't have any greater ability or anointing in my life to pray for you than anybody else in, in, in this room just because I'm a pastor. I'm a believer just like everybody else. And, and, and as a pastor, I'm submitting and humbling myself before God just like you do. And I say, God, I see this situation. God, I'm, and I'm bringing it before you. I'm trusting you. And, and, and God can move through my prayer just like he can move through your prayer. And the purpose is not for, for, for me or anybody else when a prayer is answered for it to end in us receiving glory. The purpose is, is that whenever God moves according to his will in our life, that we will turn and we will immediately pivot and say, God, it was you. God did this in my life. He receives the glory. He receives the honor. There was no hope. <laughs> there was no hope. I couldn't see my way out. And God provided God made a way. God opened the door. God did it. Amen? And, and that, that's the point behind the miracle in Lazarus' life. And that's what he's trying to get them to see. If the working of God's power in our situations ends with us, if it ends with our temporary situations being solved and that's it, then we have missed the point of God's miracle working power. I mean, earlier... Or should I say later in the book of John? But earlier in this study, the very first message we preached, we pointed to John 20. And this is what John says about the miracles that Jesus did. Let's read John 20, 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs. What are the signs he did? He raised Lazarus. He, he healed the man born blind. He healed the leper, the crippled. He fed the multitudes. But it says that he did many other signs, miracles, works in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. What are the purpose? What's the purpose? These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's what Jesus is after right here in this story. Yes, he wants to see Lazarus raised from the dead because he has compassion on Lazarus. But ultimately, it doesn't end right there. Ultimately, it's so that people would know that he is the son of God and know that that by believing in his name, they can have life in his name, not just temporary earthly life. Because the truth is, is that one day we're all going to die. All these people, they died. They all died. And they, for them to have eternal life, they had to believe in Jesus as the resurrection and the life. God, if I get sick one day, I get sick one day and I die because of a sickness and God doesn't heal me. I'm gonna go to heaven because of my faith in Jesus Christ. But if I get sick one day and God does heal me, and I don't glorify his name through it, then it really didn't mean anything. Then it was just something that affected me temporarily. There's got to be a greater purpose. It's not, the most important thing in this life is not temporary 
things. Most important thing in this life is eternal truths and realities. And that's what Jesus is trying to communicate to these people in this situation. Third thing, let's go back to the the text. Third thing we see here is that Jesus weeps over our brokenness. Firstly, we don't always have the right perspective. Secondly, there's always a greater purpose at play in our situations when God moves in our situations. And thirdly, Jesus weeps over our brokenness. Let's look at John eleven thirty two through 36. Now when Mary came, now Mary's coming to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, the same thing Martha said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Such a great phrase there, deeply moved, greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And when you study that phrase, Jesus wept, it's not a loud bursting of crying. It's an internal anguish. A deep anguish in his heart. He wept. It was a deep anguish. You, do you know that, that, that during this time that when a, a Jewish person would die and it was somebody that was well off? You know, because word spread around about Mary and Martha. They, the, the word traveled far and a crowd gathered, but, but they would hire professional mourners. You, you, you learn this as you study Jewish, tr- Jewish tradition. And they would have people that were professionally hired to mourn and to weep and to wail and make loud cries over, over the person that, that, that had died. Can you imagine that? What that would sound like? People, would you want to sign up to be a professional mourner? I guess maybe if they paid me, I could do it. If the money was good enough. You know, if I was, if I was having a little lack of money to pay the bills for the month, hey, I'll, I'll go professionally cry. So people signed up for it. And they were loud. They were known to be loud and 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 boisterous, and they made this big deal. But when it says here that Jesus wept, it's not that same type of word that's used to describe the way that these people would mourn. It was this internal, deep anguish in his heart. He wept. He wept. And so the Jews said, see how he loved him. Our world's broken. Our world is broken, and humanity is under the curse of sin. Our world is broken. You look around, you don't have to, it doesn't take very long for you to see the effects of sin on our world and in our life. Everywhere around us you see brokenness and pain and suffering and the effects of sin. And Jesus is looking, he's looking dead in the face. He's looking at the effects of sin and it's physical death is the effects of sin that that, that we die ultimately. We die ultimately because we are born under a curse and and our bodies are decaying and we see that in Romans 8 when you read in Romans 8 it says that the the earth itself is under a curse and it's groaning for redemption the earth itself is and it says not only the earth but we ourselves groan inwardly that same type of groaning that we groan inwardly Jesus is groaning inwardly he's weeping inwardly over the brokenness of this world he's seeing the effects of it he's seeing the effects of it this broken world. And you look, let's wonder, I want to read a couple of scriptures here. First John five nineteen, We know that we are from God. And the whole world, speaking of the evil world system, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Sometimes you just, you look at the world around you and you think, yeah, I, I, I see it. 
I see the whole world around us lying in the power of the evil one and he's, he's moving them like chess pieces in, in, in his game. And he's influencing them for evil and people make decisions to follow ungodly ways and beliefs and lifestyle choices and they're just under the power of the evil one. Then you see in 2 Corinthians 4, 2 through 4, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And what, what, what do the perishing, what are they experiencing? The perishing, in their case, the God, the lowercase g, God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The world lies in the power of the evil one and they are blinded by the God of this world, by Satan. And that's the position of this world and Jesus is seeing the effects of sin. He's seeing the effects of the evil one. And if you go through the Gospels, you see over and over again when Jesus would see a crowd, he'd see people, he was moved with compassion. It was compassion that motivated him to, to, to meet the needs of the people. And there's a special spot here in Matthew 9. I just want to read this, verse 35 through 36. You see, you see the heart of Jesus, that inward weeping and compassion of Jesus in Matthew 9. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, other translations say, and, and when he would lift his eyes up, he'd see the crowds, what would happen? He'd have compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, and that's how we should see the world. We should see the world through the lens that Jesus sees the world. He sees the brokenness and the effects of sin. And what did Jesus see when he would lift his eyes and see the multitudes of thousands of people following him? He would be able to know in an instant every single situation they were facing. He'd see that sickness. He'd see that addiction. He'd see that pain in that person's life. He'd see that depression. He'd see that anxiety. He'd see that fear. Your fear, your anxiety, your worry, your doubt, your situation. He'd see all of it instantly at the same time. He'd look and in his omniscience, he would know it. And, but not, he wouldn't just know it internally in his mind, but he would, he'd feel the weight of the brokenness. And that's why he was filled with compassion. That's what moved him and motivated him because he knew he was the answer. He knew he was the resurrection and the life. He knew why he came. He knew he was headed for the cross to take upon himself the punishment for the sin and the rebellion against him that caused the pain and the suffering that he saw. He was moved with compassion. And this is what he sees at the tomb. This is what he sees with Lazarus. This is what he sees with the mourning of Mary and Martha and all the others that are mourning and weeping over the death of Lazarus. He sees it. He sees it. And he's moved with compassion and inwardly he weeps and he's filled with compassion and love. And Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And he knows that all that come to him will have life. Not just temporary life. Not just the temporary resurrected life that Lazarus will experience. But all who come to him can be free from the curse of sin. You know one day, sin will be no more. Sin will be no more. Thank, thanks be to God. 
Sin will be no more. Temptation will be no more. What will it be like to have an existence where temptation is gone? No more tears. No more sorrow. No more grieving the loss of loved ones. The day is coming. John 10, 7 through 11 says this. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I just want to say this. People who come and deceive God's people, they're thieves and they're robbers. They're thieves and they're robbers. And they they deserve to be labeled as such. But the sheep don't listen to them. Listen to what Jesus says. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, enters by who? Enters by the resurrection and the life. Anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture, find Find, uh, find sustenance and find peace and fulfillment. The thief comes only to steal, to steal, to kill and destroy. Listen to this. But I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. That resurrection life. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. And the life that Jesus is talking about here is resurrection life. He's not talking about temporary life. He didn't come so you could have temporary life and have temporary life abundantly. That's what people use that scripture for. They say, hey, come to Jesus because he's going to give you a great temporary life. That's not what this is saying here. He's saying, if you come through me, you come through my door, I'm going to give you life and I'm going to give you abundant life, eternal life. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. This temporary life is going to fade and it doesn't, this temporary life is not the center of our existence as Christians. This temporary life is passing and Jesus came to give us eternal life, abundant eternal life. The thief came to steal, to prevent us from seeing Jesus as a resurrection and the life. He came to kill and to destroy us eternally. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And this is the perspective that Jesus sees with Lazarus. This is the perspective of this whole account And I pray that all of us in our life, that we would have that eternal perspective. That when we evaluate our our, our temporary struggles, this is hard, but when we evaluate our temporary life situations, that we would pray, Lord, Lord, help me. Help me to not have the limited perspective. Help me to not be limited and just see the temporary perspective. Help me to see the eternal point of view. That this is just temporary. This too shall pass. This too is gonna be, it's gonna, gonna fade. It's gonna fade. You're eternal. You're God. And ultimately, ultimately, if I'm secure in you and you are my Savior and you are my Lord, they can kill the body. They can take my money. They can take my clothes. They can take my house. They can take everything I have. But if I have gone through the door, if I've gone through the door and he is my chief shepherd, and I've rejected the thief who has come to steal and to kill and to destroy, and I believe that Jesus is a resurrection and and the life, they can take everything I have, but they can't take what is most important. And that's the perspective 
That's the perspective Jesus is always after. In every account that you see in, in all four of the Gospels, it is that perspective. And that's the, that's the, that's the perspective we must have. Amen? Amen. I'm, 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 I'm preaching. I'm preaching. I'm preaching like I wish there was like a, a 1,500 people here. A bunch of people that were not saved too. Man, because that, that's what people need to know. That's what the world needs to know. And that's what we need to be re- reminded of too as Christians. It's not about here and now. But you know what, what, what's, what's powerful though? What's so amazing about our God is that he raised Lazarus from the dead. He did. He did. That's our God. He's compassionate. He's full of mercy. He cares about everything that you care about. He has compassion on us. At the same time, he has that eternal perspective. He, that, that, that's, that's how he's viewing everything, but he cares about you in every area of your life. That's our God. Amen. Amen. God, I thank you for your word, for your truth. I thank you for this reality that we see in in your word, Lord, that you do love us. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have the right perspective of the situations that we face. God, the situations we face don't always work out and aren't working out the way that we think that they should. But Lord, help us to have the eternal perspective, to see it through your lens. And to know and to understand that when you are moving and when you will move, that you're going to move and it's for the ultimate purpose of the glory of your name. And Lord, I pray that in the midst of that struggle of going back and forth between temporary and eternal, Lord, I pray that you would remind us and you would remind us over and over again that you are the good shepherd and that you are moved with compassion for us, that you weep over our brokenness You weep over our struggles and you care and love us with a love that we can't comprehend. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.